0: Welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be opening up the Salt and Light Treasure Vault and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2017. We begin by speaking with author Robert Ellsberg about Franciscan Saints, and we reconnect with singer-songwriter Mikey Needleman, who has a new album, We Ask of You. In our second half hour, we speak with author Daria Little about her journey from Islam to Christianity, And at the end of the program, we reconnect with singer-songwriter Steve Angrisano, who also has a new album, High Above Our Way. We begin now with Franciscan Saints. I have to be honest, when I first heard that there was a book about Franciscan Saints, I thought, what? There's like maybe five? Okay, maybe ten? Then I opened the book and was amazed to find 101 biographies of men and women, priests, friars, nuns, married men and women, lay people, popes even, all Franciscan. I'm not one that can boast about having a deep Franciscan spirituality, although I am attracted to it and maybe secretly I wish I had one. So to tell us all about these saints... Well, maybe not all of them, but, you know, you'll have to get the book for that. But to tell us a little bit about some of them and to tell us what we can learn from them, I'm now joined by Robert Ellsberg, author of The Franciscan Saints. Robert, welcome to the Saltonite Hour. Thank you very much. So um, at the beginning of the program, I mentioned uh, to Emily and Billy, my co-hosts, uh, uh, if, if I asked them if they knew, I, I gave them a list of saints and I said, tell me which of these are Franciscans so now we're going to reveal and you're going to help me Robert so, so the list of saints I'm just going to go really fast because there's a lot of them and I think some are going to be obvious so Claire of Assisi Bonaventure Anthony of Padua Juniper Ocera Peter of Alcantara Maximilian Colbe, Saint Padre Pio I think those are like the obvious ones right and then we've got Marianne Cope Elizabeth of Hungary Angela Marici Bridget of Sweden Elizabeth of Portugal Thomas Moore, Solanus Casey, Michael Judge, John Duns Scotus, Matt Talbot, Pope John the Twenty Third of all those, Robert, how many of them were Franciscan? All of them. All of the above. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. John the Twenty Third.
1: That was a surprise to me. Was, was that a surprise? Uh, uh, one of the many Third Order Franciscans. Uh-huh. Uh And that's something I didn't know about him until I began uh, doing a little research uh, about this. And he apparently was very. Uh, proud of his Franciscan uh, connection, and I think it reveals something about his spirit of humility and his joy and his commitment to to peace, his general sort of openness. Right. Uh, that so a lot of a lot of these people are uh, you can there's a kind of family resemblance among them, uh-huh. uh, and once you kind of detect that uh, part of their history, uh, it makes a little bit of sense.
0: Right. Now, why why write a book about Franciscan saints?
1: Well, I have been writing about saints for the last twenty years, uh, several books, uh, and I write a daily feature for liturgical, uh, liturgical's journal. Give us This day yes. on the saints called yes. Blessed Among Us, and, yes. and out of that came a, a, a big book of, of saints. So Franciscan Media approached me, and uh, of course this is just what they exist for, and said, "Would you uh, please put together just a collection of the Franciscans?" and like you in a way, I, I, I thought it well, gee, have I written that many of them? I don't know, maybe right. a dozen or a couple dozen or something uh, and it was uh, surprising to me when I began to uh, collect them and put them all together uh, to see how many there were uh, they came in so many different shapes and forms uh, and throughout history uh, but once you kind of read them all together you, as I say, you, you do begin to kind of recognize uh, a, a constant theme or a thread that, that links them all to the founder and uh, Francis and Claire, uh-huh. uh, and and I think it's pretty, you know, and I, I would say that that leads right up to, uh, you know, Pope Francis, though not a member of I the know. Franciscans, but we're living in this kind of Franciscan moment in the church. I know. Uh, so I, I think it has a, a special relevance and helps us kind of understand uh, what that's all about.
0: Mm-hmm. So of all these saints, you, you said, I mean, you, you, you were surprised yourself to find so many, 101 um, including St. Francis, uh, w- which which is your favorite, or which uh, you mentioned, John the Twenty Third was a surprise. Were there uh, were there any other surprises?
1: Well, there were different kinds of surprises. There were the surprises like Pope John, where I I didn't know that they were Franciscan. Right. Uh, um, among those, I would include Franz Jagerstatter, Blessed Franz oh,
2: Jagerstatter, yeah. uh,
1: who's somebody who's had a, a tremendous influence in my life. He was an Austrian peasant who was beheaded by the Nazis for refusing to take an oath of, of allegiance to to Hitler right uh, he was a, a, a he was a Catholic layperson he mm-hmm. was a, a father he, uh, of several children uh, and uh, i I had no idea that he was a a Franciscan uh, but again that uh, was I don't know something that it, that revealed something about perhaps where he Mm-hmm. found the resources to take that uh, solitary witness.
0: Yeah, I was a bit surprised to hear that Thomas Moore was a Third Order Franciscan, too.
1: Well, that's an interesting case of its own. There are a few people like that that you find on the list of Franciscan saints. Uh, the Franciscans claim him... Okay. And yet there's, you know, a little uncertainty whether about any proof that he was actually a third-order Franciscan. But right. I, I, I erred on the Franciscan side on that one.
0: Yeah, no, that's great, is to see these these people who live. I'm amazed that you were able to even to find out, you know, because there's a lot of information. There might there might be a lot of information on some of these people, how they live their lives, but this, this fact that, you know, whether they were third-order Franciscans or not might might not be something that might be have been recorded. So I'm amazed that you you did, <laughs> sounds like difficult research.
1: Well, I, I didn't have to go to any uh, archives or anything like that. These are, are not very long uh, uh, pieces. No. And uh, the information is actually not that hard to come by. Um, but uh, it, it was nevertheless uh, fun to, to learn about uh, the people who are new to me.
0: Are you yourself, do you have a, maybe a slant towards a Franciscan spirituality?
1: Well, it's an interesting question. If I uh, if I were to look back on my own life, I, I can really remember the day when I was in high school, and I came across this book, The Little Flowers of St. Francis. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm sort of glad that nobody assigned me to read it. Uh, uh-huh. I didn't even know necessarily that St. Francis was a really famous guy. I just uh, read, read this book, and of course, I, I probably thought that lives of saints were were uh, were not very interesting or boring. And but I was absolutely transfixed by these stories, how charming they were and how moving they were. And I remember saying to uh, my high school teacher, "Gosh, I'm reading this amazing book about Saint Francis and his followers." And I described some of the things he did, preaching to the birds, and right, taming a, a wild wolf, and that sort of thing. And I, I remember he said, "Well, you don't really believe all that stuff, do you?" Hmm. And I I don't know what I said out loud, but you know, in my heart, I was saying, "Well, yeah, I kind of do." <laughs> And I think that it it was something that stuck with me. It led me to to uh, drop out of college to work with Dorothy Day as a Catholic Worker. Right. In in, in when I was 19, uh-huh. the last years of my life, and that was a a community that was not uh, overtly Franciscan, but was uh, certainly living the Franciscan spirit of voluntary poverty and living among the poor, and offering a witness to to peace and social justice.
0: I was going to ask you about that because I knew you'd you'd work at the Catholic Worker and that Dorothy Day was still alive, right?
1: The last five years of her life, yeah. So she
0: would, so, and I was going to ask you, do you think that she was a bit of a Franciscan in a way?
1: Uh, No doubt in my mind. Yeah, Uh, I think that that it's an example of the way that the kind of Franciscan spirit uh, has always been an undercurrent in the church uh, uh, often among those on in the, at the margins, right, uh, who kind of make this option for the poor, and really kind of read the gospel through a, a Franciscan lens. And mm-hmm. by what I what I mean by that is, is when you read it through the eyes of St. Francis, you you really kind of become face to face with uh, Jesus's poverty and his option for the poor and his closeness to those who are sick and on the margins, yeah. uh, and his kind of challenge that he poses to. To uh, you know, grandeur and and pomp and and uh, uh, bigness, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of little way uh, that has always uh, been an undercurrent in the church.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, and it's amazing to see how that Franciscan influence has built, really helped build the church. Uh, maybe just in closing, Robert, if you can tell us, um, what do you think we can all learn from that Franciscan, f- from all these Franciscan saints?
1: Well, I, I think that that. You know many of these are pretty obscure and marginal characters even in, in their own lives but I guess that you know St. Francis is somebody who always calls us back to Jesus uh, and calls the church back to Jesus remember he he started his whole mission uh, receiving a, a voice from the, the cross that said Jesus, uh, you know Francis repair my church which has fallen yes. into ruin and and many people have taken that up and I think Pope Francis too a form of repairing the church that uh, reminds us of our founder, reminds us of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's what uh, St. Francis' great gift to the church was.
0: Amen. Well, very good. I hope that um, at the very least, people will think, hmm, I'm married. I can still become a Franciscan. So, uh... There's hope for all of us. Um, thank you, Robert, for, uh, for, all the work that, for all the work that you've done and that you continue doing and for sharing this little gem with, with us. It's, uh, it's uh, As I said, it was a surprise, but it's, it's so fun to have and to read. Thank you. Thank you, Pedro. Robert Ellsberg is the editor-in-chief and publisher at Orbis Books. He's the author of many, many books, including The Saint's Guide to Happiness. His latest book is The Franciscan Saints, published by Franciscan Media. Here now is our Featured Artist of the Week, Mikey Needleman, with his Litany of the Saints, This We Ask of You, from his
3: album, We Ask of You. Oh, St. Joseph, pray for us, Blessed Mary too, Strength We ask of you Oh, Saint Michael, pray for us And Saint Maurice too Shield us as we fight for truth. Our intentions are for our doubt removed like burning incense rising up to our Lord through you, Saint Giana. Sweet in two. Watch over the vulnerable among us This we ask of you Thomas Aquinas, pray for us John the Apostle Help us to teach and to be taught. Say, Andrew, pray for us, and say, Christopher, too. Show us how to find our calling. This we ask of you, our intention.
0: That was Mikey Needleman with This We Ask of You from his album, We Ask of You. Now, last we spoke with Mikey Needleman, uh, it was in June 2016, and he and his band were working on this new liturgical album, the album which we've been listening to. Um, it's ready, it's done, and it's out. Um, we Ask of You is their fourth album, and to tell us all about it, I'm now joined by Mikey Needleman. Mikey, welcome back to the Sultanite Hour.
4: Hello. It's so good to be here.
0: This is the the uh, the long expected album because I think I yeah, think. You're, you're telling me. <laughs> it, was really?
4: a, it was over a year of of uh, you know being in the studio and production and all that kind of stuff. It, it was probably the longest project I've ever
0: done. Really, really? Can you tell us a bit about that? Was it just kind of? Difficulties, or is just kind of the nature of of, of the process. What was?
4: It, it's probably a lot of things. I think the mo- the main part was that we've been we're busier now than we mm-hmm. ever have. And when I say we, me and my band, yeah. Um, yeah, we're just we're playing a lot. So not only is it hard to schedule studio time, but it's also you know hard on my voice. And you know I can't record vocals if you know if I've got scratchy vocals and stuff like that. So um, it's it's kind of just being patient. Uh, if anything right, not trying to rush through it um, and then you couple that with being you know a perfectionist like i am oh being you know self self-conscious on everything you know the studio is a the scary thing it's like putting everything under a microscope to so terrible really conscious
0: so so i shouldn't tell the perfectionist of you that that we like your scratchy voice
4: yeah <laughs> well I, it make me feel better i guess so yeah that's fine
0: so cuz it's not there's 6 tracks in this album right yeah yes um they're all original I mean this is part of uh, correct me if I'm wrong because your previous album was also a liturgical album do do I have the sense that these two albums are related somehow?
4: Yes, in fact this is probably the third in a trilogy uh, that we kind of set out to do Um, for the future I'm not sure if I'm going to put out another liturgical record or you know a a singer-songwriter or worship but we definitely knew going into this that this was going to be the third of, of kind of a trilogy okay. um, of, of liturgical records.
0: So these are songs that people can act, can use at mass.
4: At mass and, and a lot of the other you know Catholic uh, traditional things that we do such as uh, right. adoration and um, you know the, the song you guys just listened to was litany uh, the litany of the, the litany saints, of the saints so yeah that kind of comes into play in a lot of different feasts but then also kind of outside of. Of mass and different worship
0: right can be used, and then there's a Pentecost sequence um, mm-hmm. that that can obviously you be used at Pentecost. I guess I don't know where else you'd sure. use it. Um, well, you could use it for confirmation. <laughs> for co- yeah, that's right. Like that. Yeah, and healing waters. That's also good for a lot of lot of theme. So, so, um, I, I guess it's kind of a silly question to ask you what's your hope for the album uh, in terms of how people are going to use it. Clearly, you want people to use these m- songs at mass. And, uh, at other liturgical services?
4: In the past three records, this one included, it's it's always been writing for, uh, with, with the uh, the music minister in mind, okay. with the choir in mind, with the congregation in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, all three of those things, writing music that would translate well to different instruments, yeah. writing music that, that was singable, um, and then also writing music that was, uh, you know, uh, simple for a congregation to be able to Kind of join in immediately. Okay. Um, and you, you kind of see that in the in the Pentecost sequence, for example, it's, it's an echo sequence, it's mm-hmm. a call and response. So often, you know, when we do those sequences, we do a song and, and the cantor kind of does it and we don't really know what's going on because we've never heard the song before. We haven't right. heard it in a year. So we, we wrote that in mind like, how do we get people to sing? Um, how do we, you know, write the song even uh, simple enough that, you know, the most uh, advanced musicians, um, can do it as well as you know. People who are you know more casual uh, musicians can also play along with the song. So picking right keys and stuff like that. So yeah. So it, it's kind of very intentional on trying to get it into the churches, um, into those events, so that it's easily adaptable to whatever situation you need it for.
0: Yeah, no, and that's true, and it's tricky because because to write something that works well for guitar, let's say, might not work great for piano or organ, absolutely, or choir. So you've tried to make sure that doesn't matter what your music group at church looks like, you can do these these songs. If your guitar player can only play three chords and no bar chords, they can still yeah. play your music, right?
4: That's the hope. That's the hope. I mean, it's it's really a, a tough deal, and uh, just trying to make it as versatile as possible while keeping the integrity. But I think we did a really good job, and I'm really yeah. proud of of how we were able to, you know, bring out the beauty and simplicity and bring out the beauty and and the amazing tradition of the Catholic Church without having to compromise, you know, all that stuff.
0: Of course. So the album is published by World Library Publications. Are they publishing the songbook as well so people can get the sheet music to play along?
4: Yeah. The sheet music should be available on the World Library Publications website um, very soon. Typically, um, they send that off to um, a professional who's much more talented than me
0: they can, to yeah.
4: uh, put that all ready for uh, uh, piano parts and, right. and uh, octavos and stuff like that. It's a little bit above my knowledge, um, but they do such a good job of making sure that it then gets into the hands not only the recordings but also the sheet music and the scores, so that so that yeah, it can be it can be used. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the point.
0: Yeah, and that's always it was fun to see your work being presented that way. So there's the piano version or the, the full score version or the choral version. Um, when, when you work, when you talk about you plural, I guess you and your band working, cool. thinking about some of these songs and, and, and what, so there's, there's the organic part of, of the songwriting that then you as, as a craft work on it to make it work for congregation or for congregational singing. How is that process with the band? Is that mostly Mikey Needleman doing the writing, or do you guys collaborate as a group? How does that work?
4: It's it's probably mostly me uh, at first, and then it's kind of refined by the band.
0: Okay.
2: Uh,
4: so I kind of come up with the idea and the basic structure, and we kind of well, usually when we go go into the studio, um, it's the band and the producer, uh, and we talk through things. We say, "Well, what if we did this here? Would that you know? Would that be a better?" Thing to do, or you know, maybe the bass player says, You know, I'm, I'm thinking that this part's a little bit tricky for a congregation to do. Like, what how can we smooth that out? Okay, um, so yeah, so really they're kind of the proofreaders of, of my work, to, mm-hmm. you know, be a, a second voice to that. Um, on top of that, World Library publication, they I send them the demos and they also come back with some edits, right? That, you know, Right. For example, um, you know, instead of saying me or I, we change that to we. we. Um, you know, just little, little uh, practical things that sometimes I just kind of just forget about, that having a second set of eyes on it, a yeah. third, fourth, fifth set of eyes on it really um, helps in, in that goal.
0: Yeah, for sure. And they and they are the publisher, so I guess they have a say. Um, yeah. <laughs> so would you say then that the, the way you and your band have, Perform the songs in the recording is how they sh- could be or best be done at mass, or is this going to be, or are these like more the performance version, but the the mass version can be a little
4: different. I think yeah, the latter. I think we when we did this, we we wanted the recordings themselves to be as uh, full and high energy and uh, captivating as possible. Yeah. Um, for the you know pop the CD in your car and and start mm-hmm. driving kind of thing. Um, so that was kind of our goal with the recording. Um, so, so yeah, I it, I think it'd to be really, really tough. You know, our band is uh, guitars, bass, drums. Um, and, you know, we we do a lot of synth stuff yeah. and stuff like that. It would be really hard to even put a group like that in it, a Sunday, yeah. You know, liturgy. So we we do, I guess, our take on the song, right? Um, hoping that. People can then hear it and say, "Well, you know, this is what we have. We've got you know a different setup, instrumentally, chorally, all that kind of stuff, and still be able to to do it." Um, one thing that I really do like about this record specifically is I, we we always try to make sure that all of our songs uh, are are a little bit different. They're not that you wouldn't say, "Oh, that's classic mm. Mikey Needleman sound." It's like we like to you know challenge ourselves and the listener uh, from song to song. Mm-hmm. So um, some of the songs, like the first song you heard is just kind of pretty much me on guitar and cello.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: there's other songs that are very uh, more full band, uh, youth rally, uh, driving yeah. you know, type songs that you wouldn't necessarily perform that way uh, in Lent. Um, I wouldn't. Right. Even if I was playing with my band, we wouldn't perform it that no. way in Lent. Yeah. There's that discernment that we are called to do to to fit it to our congregation for the yeah. food and all that kind
0: of Yeah, of course, and that makes sense. And I guess that's what's beautiful about music in general, that it can be adapted. Um, Mikey, uh, thank you. I'm glad the album finally came out and <laughs> that you sent me a copy. Actually, you sent me two copies, so I got an extra one. If anybody wants a free one, maybe I'll send them to them. Email oh, me. Email me here at radio at org. Mikey, thank you for what you do. Um, I won't be at NCYC, but I'm sure we'll connect at some point. Um, Keep doing doing what you're doing. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. All right. You can learn all about Mikey Needleman and his band. You can purchase their music and this new album, we ask of you, or book them to come to your event at their website, MikeyNeedleman.com. And I'm going to put that on our website so you can find it easily, MikeyNeedleman.com. And, of course, you can purchase uh, uh, this album and other music at World Library Publications, WLPMusic.com as well. Here now is the Mikey Needleman band with Go In Peace from this new album, We Ask of You. The
3: mission starts within our hearts we the word, now it begins We have learned, now it's our turn To set the world on fire again we set out, the time is
0: Listening to Mikey Needleman with Go in Peace from his album We Ask of You. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org. slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Daria Little was born and raised in Muslim Turkey. After her parents' divorce, she rejected her family's Islamic faith and became an atheist. Now, during her adolescence, though, she tried to convince once a Christian missionary that there is no God, but that didn't turn out too good for Daria. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Daria Little. Daria, welcome to the Sultan Light Hour.
5: Thank you, and thank you very much for having me.
0: So the, your story, before I ask you a little bit more detail, the story is, is uh, detailed in your book that you just authored, From Islam to Christ, One Woman's Path Through the Riddles of God. So tell me, you grew up in a Muslim, so Turkey is a Muslim country, in a Muslim society, but these, you rejected these early on, w- those beliefs. Why? Uh,
5: I was praise the Muslim, as um, as you mentioned, you know, I was a good Muslim girl, learned my uh, prayers, learned how to recite the Quran, and I never even thought about leaving Islam until uh, my parents got a divorce, and okay. uh, that was unheard of in my world, and it turned everything upside down for me. Uh, so when I started to doubt, my uh, parents love for me, because of their divorce, uh, that eventually led me to... Doubt Islam because uh, if they lie to me about their love, what else did they lie me lie to me about? Okay, and,
0: but uh-huh, yeah. Uh, but were there any other sort of teachings or tenets about Islam that didn't make sense to
6: you?
5: Uh, not before I started questioning because um, doubt or questioning or um, those kind of rebellious thoughts um, are uh, forbidden in Islam. So you're uh-huh. not even allowed to question or doubt. But when I started to read Islam in a more skeptical, questioning light, then I realized everything wasn't as, um, as good as it, um, they portrayed us growing up. Uh, for the first time I read it for myself, I read uh, Quran in Turkish, mm-hmm. and then I started reading about Muhammad's life, and uh, then I realized um, he wasn't this uh, ideal man uh, we were supposed to follow. Uh, I realized um, his life wasn't perfect and I concluded that after a while that I couldn't follow this man because of his treatment of women and his inconsistencies and his war on other people the existence of violence in Islam mm-hmm. uh, so I decided that I couldn't follow such a man and that led me to atheism because the only God I knew was Allah
0: so as as an uh, how old were you at the time I'm 11. So, okay, so you're 11 years old, you're living in a predominantly Muslim country, you interiorly have rejected these beliefs, but exteriorly are you still living as a Muslim? Um,
5: I didn't want to reject Islam, so I tried to, in a way I was reading about Muhammad's life, but then I kept reading the Quran, like I'm hoping that it's true, but okay. does it make sense? And eventually I dropped all the religious practices. Uh, which isn't very common like it's a very nominally muslim country Mm -hmm. in places so uh nobody really suspected that i wasn't muslim anymore
0: okay um so it's not something that you could share with your friends for example
5: um i did find a few friends who were um who thought like me but there were very few and we had this like little group of two or three people Uh, who read um, all these books written by atheists or former Muslims. Right. But most of my friends were uh, still Muslims.
0: Right. So part of of growing up in that society or growing up as a Muslim meant that you had a complete distrust for Christianity. So what was it about Christianity, without telling us the whole story because I want people to read the book, but what was it about Christianity that grabbed you first?
5: Well, nothing grabbed me until I met a missionary. Uh Uh-huh. but when I started talking, the, I think the biggest difference for me, uh, the way they Christianity portrayed God, uh, the God this missionary talked about was completely different from Allah. This God was rational, loving, and pure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was completely different, and that was the biggest change for me. And um, that also opened the door for me to cross, because my God was science after I Mm. rejected Islam for Mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. And I realized that this God, this missionary lady was talking about, was compatible with science.
0: With science. Interesting. Mm
5: -hmm. So that was the biggest pull for me. And then afterwards, I understood more about Christ and his sacrifice and sin. But the biggest pull was the nature of God.
0: Can I ask you, I I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but you, you hear so often that people say that, we worship the same God, Christians, Jews, and Muslims. But you've just, in a way, have said that your sense of that, that, that Allah is not the same God that you heard that the Christian God was. Would you agree that it's the same God and just a different interpretation? Or do we actually um, have a completely different concept of God? Um,
5: to be honest, the, um, Allah, uh, the God that Islam teaches, Uh, is completely different than the God we believe. Um, This doesn't mean that most Muslims, they are not aware. And I think because of the law that's written in their hearts, they Mm. do, I think, uh, turn their worship to creator of the universe, unknowingly. (laughs) Does it make sense? Yes, it does. Not because of Islam, but because, you know, God, the Lord, uh, calls him to. But Allah himself, as taught by Islam and Muhammad, is not compatible with Christianity, because um, Allah can change His mind whenever He wants. Like, He can say, your sins don't matter anymore, everybody come to Heaven. Then there is no uh, need for Christ.
2: Mm -hmm.
5: Um, Like, you you can't reach Allah, uh, Christ, starting from uh, Allah's nature, right, of
0: and course. that's very important. That's, yeah, that would be a, a, a pretty fundamental difference. Um, so you became a Christian, and then years later, you were drawn to the Catholic Church. So why? what drew you to Catholicism? Um,
5: I was, um, so my, um, my um, during my childhood, it was very anti-Catholic. It was anti-Christian, but it was definitely anti-Catholic. And all the Protestants around me were very anti-Catholic. And then, um, even though I had some questions about Protestant theology, like scripture alone or faith alone, Mm -hmm. I thought I didn't know enough, so I pushed them aside. But a friend, a good friend of mine, went and became a Catholic, and I felt personally betrayed, Uh Uh, so I set about to uh, prove him wrong, and then, um, you know, a few years later, I find myself... Getting confirmed, so right, um, The right. so longer so stories in the book. It but is,
0: it is a great story. So both times you set out to prove somebody wrong, and and you find the truth.
5: Uh, yes, I know. How many times can I be wrong? And apparently, many, many times. Thank God, Holy Spirit is patient.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because when I first received the book, and of course, from Islam to Christ is a great title, but one woman's path through the riddles of Christ, uh, the riddles of God was not the subtitle I was expecting. I was expecting, you know, a conversion story or something. But why, I mean, hearing you talk now a little bit, I understand why you, you, you mean the riddles of God. But can you explain that a little better? Why, why the riddles of God?
5: Um, I think the way we are created is we kind of look for a riddle to soul And God, uh, in everybody's life, uh, God puts this little little, it's there like crumbs. Mm-hmm. Right, this little riddle in front of us, and if we want to follow him, uh, he will help us solve it, and then we are one step closer to him and mm-hmm. I feel like my whole life, um I chased after these little riddles God gave me and um and those were much better than the solutions I found for myself right. because I was a very unhappy woman before I found the Lord, so um mm-hmm. those riddles up to actually gave me more satisfaction than all mm-hmm. the solutions i conjured up for myself.
0: Right Now, I I would say that your book is more than just a conversion story. So who is this book for and what is your hope for the book?
5: Um, Actually, it's it's for everybody who struggle with their faith. Um, You know, from if you're uh, doubting about your Christian faith or if you want to learn about For Islam or uh, if you want to know what it means to uh, be an immigrant in America Mm -hmm. or um, how we can uh, survive in the secular um, society. I think um, everybody can find a little bit of themselves in my book because now I wander the far and wide spiritually and physically, and um, I think it's a little bit for everyone.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and those are all uh, themes that can be found in the book. So um, I'm I'm very happy that <laughs> that you went through your experience so that you could write this book and share it with us, Daria. Um, thank you for doing so and for sharing a little bit about your experience and your life uh, with us today.
5: Oh, well, thank you again. Thank you very much for having me, and God bless.
0: That was Daria Little. She's the author of From Islam to Christ. If you missed any part of this conversation, go to saltandlighttv.org radio and you can listen to the rest of it and also listen to the whole program. Daria Little has a PhD in politics from Durham University in England. Her articles on foreign affairs have appeared in academic journals and Catholic World Report. Her book, From Islam to Christ, One Woman's Path Through the Riddles of God, is published by Ignatius. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Steve Angersano with O Saving Victim from his new album High Above Our Way.
7: Okay. your mercy We place our trust in you alone Oh saving victim Open wide The gate of heaven To us below Our foes press on From fly.
0: was Steve ongrissano with O oh, Saving Victim from his new album High Above Our Way and singing with Steve on that track is uh, Sarah Kroger. Now, I probably don't have to say much about Steve Angersano except, well, he's been on this program I don't know how many times. If you don't know who he is, you need to listen to this conversation and then you need to look him up. Steve has been in this business longer than I can count. I'm not gonna say how old he is because he must have started when he was five years old. He does it Uh all youth, adults, conferences, liturgies, schools, if there's a Catholic event, he's been there. Um, and Steve has just put out, I believe it's his ninth album. He's going to correct me, I'm sure. High above our way. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Steve Angersano. Steve, so good to have you back on the program.
6: Ah, uh, Deacon Pedro, always good to talk to you. And I think your number nine is correct. Is I, it? I had a couple of recordings prior to having a publisher. So technically it's they probably 11 or something like that. But, but nine that you could still get your hands on.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and they're they're and and should I say nine excellent albums? I should have said that, right? Excellent album. Now, I um, you're you're. I know that you're shortly going to be on your way to the airport. You're flying to San Diego. You have some some dates in California. That seems to me that that is you love doing this. You're still doing a lot of retreats, talks, conferences, workshops. Would you say that that's your favorite part of the ministry, or do you like being in the recording studio?
6: Oh, that's a tough question to answer. I think. By far, my favorite part of the ministry is the actual ministry. So yeah, first come to shove, I would say, uh, being a speaker at a youth conference, doing a two- or three-day parish mission in a parish, all yeah. the things, the conferences, the things you mentioned, I just think it's where the real meaning of what we're doing, you know, none of none of the publishing makes any difference if if we're not um, right. pursuing our faith with passion, you know, and, and uh, that's been probably the most rewarding part, it's definitely what's kept me going over time, is, mm-hmm. is that for my, even for my wife, who I have to be away from my family a lot, yeah, but
2: she's a I would saint.
6: think because we believe in what we're doing and because there's so much spiritual benefit to it and joy to it, I mean, I, I don't think she would let me travel like this just if I was an accountant or something, and there's nothing wrong <laughs> with being an accountant. I just think you know, that we receive a lot from the mission that we take on.
0: Yeah, and I know from, from my experience, I mean, meeting all the people you get to meet and how well they, you know, they're, they're you're received and you get so much, you probably get so much. I mean, you're, yeah. you're getting from them rather than them getting from you. I mean, it's a classic kind of missionary ministry uh, quote.
6: That's very true. And I think that what a lot of people don't say sometimes is that uh, if you let it, and I think that, that the best people that you know, that anyone listening knows, the speakers and musicians that they admire in the faith. But you know if you let it that also calls you to continue to pursue your faith and to continue to be the person that you're calling others to be and i i think that's one of the best things for me is i'll finish a really busy month and i'm physically exhausted but here i was at a conference with bishop Barron, and here i was at a big rally with twenty thousand teenagers and and at the end of the day you know i'm being inspired by these things just as much as i'm a a part of them like you were saying and and i think you can't you can't Stay static in that environment. You have to respond true, to it or yeah. not. You yes, know, and, it's true. and uh, I really, I think it makes my faith stronger that I'm able to be a part of those things.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm amazed that you actually have time to to write. So you're still writing music despite of all that. So I'm I'm presuming that. Some of the way that these events feed you is that they're actually also feeding you creatively so that you can go into the studio and you or you can write songs. Tell me a bit about, uh, about that.
6: Absolutely. That then and you hit upon a really good point. When and if anyone ever asked me directly, when do you write? I'm like, I am like I never. I I write like <laughs> the way I was a student in high school. I write when O C P says We have a budget (laughs) this year for you and it expires on april 12th and so i write a bunch of songs right on april 10th you know (laughs) and uh i've also learned to do and you'll notice this on this record if anyone reads the fine print but nearly every song on this particular recording high up of our way is yeah is written with curtis steven who is a neighbor and friend and fantastic musician and fellow Texas Ranger fan, which which uh, which we live right in Dallas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I, I I'm a very big baseball fan, and and even though our teams are not entirely on good terms, I I I am an equal opportunity employer when it comes to that.
0: <laughs> so so. So so you write okay wait so so Curtis is your next door neighbor um Yeah pretty close actually and OCP says to you we have a budget do you want to put out a new album so you had not been kind of playing around with Curtis on on ideas for songs
6: Yeah you know what typically happens is for either one of us because I in the last 3 or 4 years when we've lived closer together yeah, it's been a very fruitful spiritually because you pray about this stuff and I think if people could be a fly on the wall, the conversations they would enjoy the most are not the actual writing of the lyrics, but prior to that, you know, you sit down and and you take just a thematic idea. Let's write a Christmas song, you know, which is one of the songs, Christ Yeah, yeah. Okay, where would the text come from? Oh, there's an old hymn that no one ever sings anymore that says this, and oh, and the Liturgy of the Hours, isn't that beautiful, what St. Ambrose says about that, and you take a few ideas and you try to decide what you want to say. And then you begin hmm. to piece it together. And so, yeah, I personally okay. am best as a writer, and this is different for different people, but I don't, I'm not as creative when we're standing there together, staring at each other, saying, okay, be creative, go. Um, so people like Sarah Hart, who I know you've interviewed yeah, before, they're they're very good. That's what they do for a living. In that kind of situation, she works in Nashville, goes into a room, writes a song.
2: Yeah, right, yeah. But for
6: Curtis and I, it's more we come up with a theme, we go home, he'll write a really great hook of a of a chorus and says, uh-huh. what do you think about that? And I'll say, that's great. And what if the verses were like this? And we almost send it back and forth is the way okay. many of these are written.
0: I see. But it sounds still a little kind of methodical. Like you think, let's write a Christmas song or let's write an adoration song. And then you, you go from there, like you start with a theme. Like I'm, I'm intrigued that there's a Christmas song in this album.
6: And yes. Then- Okay. It's both are true. Both are true. You okay. know, uh, sometimes you just have inspiration. I uh, one of the songs on the record that that song I'm speaking of is actually my favorite one. Christ, Christ our, light our light has light come, has and, come. It's, and it's funny how it it just it. We wanted to write a, a Christmas song because I think what's different sometimes for musicians in the church is that. My publishers a liturgical publisher, so they often tell us their needs, you know, but okay. we don't have a lot of contemporary seasonal music for I Christmas, see. you know I see. uh yes. we we would like to offer something that's newer than just the most traditional hymns, mm-hmm. and so that gives you an an inspiration or an avenue and mm-hmm. I think i I write better with that nudge. It's like writing responsorial psalms, I love the Psalms. And for the last 10 years, praying liturgy, the hours, yes. at least once a day, it's been a big part of my life. Yes. And I think to write a Psalm, it's so much easier if you've prayed the Psalm and those words have penetrated into your heart a little bit and you know of what you speak. It's yeah. not just words that were handed to you like an assignment. Yes, And, uh, and so I think that, that you kind of go hand in hand, you know, when they give you a little inspiration of which direction to go, then you can sort of lean on texts that you've, you know, we for these songs we look for some of Pope Francis's uh, yeah. uh, homilies and things like that. Okay. It just gives you some rich material when someone gives you a direction, right?
0: And at the same time, I know leading leading us home, which was the song, the first song we played at the top of the program. It was inspired by a trip to Bethlehem,
6: correct? Yes, and that would be just the opposite. That yeah. would be what you were saying, leading us home, which is probably yeah, push comes to shove, one of my favorite songs that I've ever written really? because. I wrote it on a plane coming home from the Holy Land. Hmm. Uh, there's a there's a there's a long version and really uh, for me an it, entertaining version of this story. I experienced this with Father Chris Ryan, who's an amazing priest in Australia, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I was only for a few seconds in the tomb of Jesus. Truly, just a few seconds, yes. and all by myself, touching, touching. A slab of stone where Jesus' body lay. And and for those who've never been, I, I was so scared to go and so glad yeah. that I went.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and yeah.
6: and uh, this is not a place that Christians started praying in the year 63, as you well know and probably have spoken about before, but this yes. is a place Christians stopped praying in the year 63 because yes. a pagan emperor covered it up because they, mm-hmm. they wanted the Christians to stop coming here. But you're in this place that is so powerfully and reliably holy to the to the first century church and i came out of that room after a few seconds and i have to race to the airport and i went to confession to this little portuguese priest that was a franciscan friar and and they have confession lines right there and i mm-hmm. i was just so moved by the whole thing and i told him i said father i i don't want to leave like i was only here for four days to 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 work, which is, was the case. And, and I'm not ready to go. I'm not ready to stop touching these places that were where Jesus walked and stood and lay. And, and he said to me, well, your penance is this. When your plane is taking off, place your hand in front of your mouth and breathe into it. And, and he made me do it like, ah. and he said, and as you feel your breath hit your hand, I want you to remember as close as your breath is to you, this is how close God is to you always, no matter where you are. Wow. And I wrote the whole song based on that line, as close as our breath. Oh, my and gosh. That, that was the impetus. So I'll, I'll never forget that moment.
0: Okay, well, now I need to tell our listeners now absolutely are going to have to go to the website, our website, and, da- and listen to the beginning of the program to hear the song again and, and definitely then go and buy the album. Steve, we're going to leave it there. Um I, I love the fact that you're still writing. I love your music and I love maybe a little bit more what you do on on stage when you're when you're performing and when you're doing conferences and talks. So I hope you don't stop. And uh, maybe uh, maybe we can go to the Holy Land together. How's that?
6: That would be, uh, be fun. I will take you up on that.
0: Let's do it. Everybody needs a deacon to go with them to the Holy Land. I agree. And every deacon needs a guitar player. And singer. I don't know guy. if you'll find
6: that in print anywhere, but I agree.
0: <laughs> okay, well, Steve, thank you so much. Uh, safe flight and uh, stay in touch. Thanks.
6: thanks great to be on. Thank you.
0: That was Steve Angresano. If you missed any part of this conversation, uh, go to slash radio to listen to the rest of it and to listen to the whole program. And you can learn more about Steve Angrisano at his website, steveangrisano.com. I'm going to put a link to that on our site so you can find it easily. His new album, High Above Our Way, is published by Oregon Catholic Press. And here now is Steve Angersano with the title track of his new album, High Above Our Way.
7: There's a love that is greater than my own There's a spirit that brings me back to life There's a seed that's been planted in my soul That can only grow in the light of Christ There's a mercy that's wider than my own There's a hope every sinner can be saved There's a power that rolls away the stone is only found in the light of Christ.
0: We're listening to Steve Angresano with High Above Our Way from his album of the same name. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Any comments, feedback, or questions, you can send them to me via Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. My
7: soul, that can only grow in the light of
0: Christ